one of my favorite television shows of all time that I still watch at least a couple of times a week is The Golden Girls. I love everything about this show. The wit, the playfulness, the humor, the approach to social issues, and of course, all of that glorious 80s fashion. Perhaps most of all, though, I love the relationship between the girls. For though only Dorothy and Sophia are blood relations, the girls showed us over and over again that they were family in the truest and most beautiful senses of the word. Their bonds, individually and collectively, produced beauty in all of their lives. In the two-part series finale, Dorothy meets and falls in love with Blanche's Uncle Lucas. In a short two-month span from a disastrous first date to a wedding day, the two are ready to marry. And Dorothy, who has made her home in Miami all these years, is planning to move with her new husband back to Atlanta without her mother, who decides to stay with Blanche and Rose. In the final scene of the show, Dorothy is leaving her girls, and her husband is waiting in the car. They have a flight to catch. So Dorothy says her goodbyes, puts her hand on the doorknob, and says, I love you, always. And she walks out and closes the front door behind her. The girls begin to feel her absence. But a few seconds later, she bursts back in for, through that same front door, hugging them tightly, calling them angels. And then she leaves a second time. The girls inch closer to the front door, a look of anticipation crossing Rose's face. The seconds feel like minutes. And in brilliant comedic fashion, Dorothy comes through the side door to embrace them one more time, to everyone's surprise and delight. After one more long hug, Dorothy says to her girls, you'll always be my sisters, always. Once more, she closes the door behind her. The girls stare at the front door for a few seconds, but no Dorothy. They look to the side door for a few seconds, but no Dorothy. Rose even looks to the kitchen door behind her, but no Dorothy. Realizing she's gone, the girls embrace one another, crying, living into the first moments of their new reality before the screen fades to black. Today is Ascension Sunday, which comes right before Pentecost. The lectionary text for today comes from the Gospel of Luke. So much happens in this 24th chapter. The women find the tomb empty. Jesus meets some followers on the road to Emmaus. Jesus appears to others and shows them his very human wounds. He invites them to touch his very human body so they know he is not a ghost. <clears throat> he expresses his very human hunger and is given a piece of fish to eat. Having been fed, today's text begins. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. 
As Jesus' ministry on earth comes to an end, he spends time equipping his friends with all they will need to begin to take the mission out from Jerusalem and into the world. Jesus reminds them of the arc of God's interaction with humanity. He reminds them that it is long, that the law of Moses was God's love and justice in the world. He reminds them that the prophets called the people back to that same love and justice. He reminds them that the Psalms speak to the triumphs and failures of the people to enact that love and justice. And he reminds them that Jesus' incarnation and ministry are in continuity with the revelation of God millennia before his life on earth. God is always already present in the world from the very beginning. Nancy Ramsey writes that Jesus embodies God's deepest longing for us and all creation. Jesus reminds them that God's word does not return void, but is rather fulfilled in each and every one of the Holy's interactions with the world. Ramsey goes on, This moment is to open our eyes to see the power of God's love that takes the worst the world can do and transforms it into a witness of God's redemptive love and power. Indeed. And yet, what can be hard for us to understand after two millennia of Christianity is that the way forward was not at all clear for these disciples and their friends. So Jesus says to them, And see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. What is coming? They don't know. They only know that they're told to stay in Jerusalem until a thing so powerful occurs that they cannot deny that it is the work of God and the promise of their friend fulfilled for them. And this is the part that gets me every time. (coughs) Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. In his leading out and blessing, Jesus transfers his ministry to the nascent church's ministry. If you recall, Bethany was the place of the triumphal entry, or as we called it a few months ago, the righteous entry into Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the destination then for Jesus's ministry. By taking the disciples back to the place of his mission's beginning and asking them to walk the road back to Jerusalem of their own choice, Jesus is sending them on their own mission. Jesus lifts his hands and blesses his friends turned family. And he continued to bless them as he moved away when he was carried up into the heavens. The author of Luke's gospel doesn't give us heralding angels or flashing lights no chariots of fire or mysterious figures. He simply says that Jesus was carried up into the heavens. And much like with Moses and Aaron and Elijah with Elisha, Jesus transfers his mantle to his followers. They have a mission to fulfill, a ministry to take up. They will now be those who fulfill the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms they will receive a share of their teacher's spirit. And the text goes on, and they worshiped him, or in the Greek, they prostrated themselves and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. 
It's that space between the prostration and the return to Jerusalem that interests me these days. I reckon the disciples were happy for their friend, glad he was going home to God. I reckon they were also grieved for themselves, missing the one who drew them together, the one with whom they had shared all of life's joys and sorrows for several years. And in that moment after Jesus ascends, I wonder if the disciples looked around, thinking he might appear again. After all, he'd come back for them once when it seemed well beyond impossible. Their friend had defeated death and overcome the grave. Their women had told them, and they had seen it for themselves. They had walked roads with him. They had touched his body. They had broken bread together. They continued to live in Jesus' life after death with him. But now he seemed to be gone. And unlike that scene in The Golden Girls, Jesus doesn't come bursting through a side door or give them yet another last-minute blessing. No, the blessings he had poured into them over the years and in those last moments would have to suffice. I imagine there were tears in that place of prostration, for true worship must hold, must hold space for deep grief as much as for soaring joy. I imagine his friends held on to each other, perhaps knowing but not fully understanding that they were now the legacy of Jesus on earth. They knew the stories. They saw the miracles. Now they would have to become the storytellers and the performers of miracles. More than any other gospel, the writer of Luke links the mission of Jesus with the mission of the church. For Luke, the church is the instrument of God's continued action on earth. This passage marks not really the end of the story of Jesus, but the beginning of the story of his church. Jesus directs his followers to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sin in his name. Linda Lee Clater writes, Indeed, the ancient story of God's mercy has been embodied and realized in the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus blesses his friends with the fullness of God's mercy so they might proclaim that mercy to Jerusalem and beyond. And friends, what I want you to know today is that God is still making of us a pilgrim people. Whether we are deep in grief or celebrating mountaintop joys, there's work for us to do. No sanctuary can confine, no government can define the work of God's people on earth. Our task in these days is to figure out how to fulfill the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms in the place where we find ourselves. Our task is to tell the stories of God's love and justice in word and in deed. If we do that, friends, we may be bearers of the divine image in its joys and in its sorrows, doing the work Jesus left us to do. Amen.